Barbara Murphy is one of the top commercial real estate brokerage firms in the Southern Illinois and St. Louis region. With more than 500 active listings, it's the go-to firm for anyone seeking to buy, sell, lease, or invest. With a unique transactional focus, Barbara Murphy offers you a conflict-free experience as your trusted advisor. Contact Barbara Murphy today at barbaramurphy.com for expertise and assistance with your next real estate transaction. Welcome everyone to another episode of Build St. Louis, a regional podcast that's capturing and sharing the very heartbeat of commercial real estate development and construction. And I am your host, Carrie Smith, and I'm delighted today to welcome Tom Ray with CBRE to our discussion. Tom is first vice president at CBRE, and his specialty is in the office submarkets in Creve Corps and Westport in and around St. Louis. And Tom has been a licensed office real estate broker with CBRE for more than 28 years, and he holds a Juris Doctorate from the University of Missouri Columbia School of Law. And all that to be said, Tom, welcome to this episode of Build St. Louis. We're so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Carrie. I'm really happy to be here and I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, wonderful. Well, let's dive right into the episode that we've dubbed the state of Class A office leasing in St. Louis in mid-2023 and such a dynamic topic. And certainly all of us, even those of us who aren't directly in the real estate industry, have traveled to downtown areas and just seen sort of the evolution of who is working from home, who's working in the office, who's developing a hybrid model that's working for them. And all that to be said, Tom, I bet that this is creating an extremely diverse and dynamic landscape with what you do with Class A office. It really is. My joke, so to speak, is that for someone getting into the industry right now in 2023 or perhaps a year prior in 2022, the playbook that I have followed throughout my career and that at least a couple of generations of office brokers had followed prior to me coming into the industry is really gone. And the idea of people being in the office working eight to five, nine to five, Monday through Friday, you can really trace that playbook back to prior to the Empire State Building being built in lower Manhattan in New York City, because that's really how long office space has been utilized the way that we were using it through January of 2020. And then when you move almost the entirety of America's office workforce to home in a span of about two weeks. I mean, we upended approximately 100 years of how work had been getting done, whether it was the best way or not. That's how we'd been doing it. And suddenly we invented out of that out of whole cloth because remote work, telework had been going on. I had an internship in Washington, D.C. in the mid-1990s. And there were people talking about telework when I was there then. But it was definitely few and far between employees that had that opportunity. And then suddenly in March of 2020, almost everyone had it. You know, you got to remember the essential workers that were in their office space full-time, perhaps, you know, very concerned about bringing COVID home to their families. But the vast majority of office workers were not in their office space. And how we kind of rebuild the office market after that is a complete, it's more than a paradigm shift. The old playbook is literally gone. 
Wow. Thank you for framing that because that, and in the context of the Empire State Building, to give us just a sense of how far back in terms of the legacy of commuting to the office that goes. I know we shared a little bit before we started this episode officially about that it can be a positive thing. Certainly, it was probably kind of a seismic shock to the industry when it was happening three years ago, three and a half years ago. But there's also, you mentioned, just a real opportunity in this upset, not only for landlords, but for tenants as well. And would love if you could maybe flesh that out a little bit on what opportunities are there because of the dramatic shift we're seeing. For landlords, the challenge in front of them, which you can see in one headline after another, is that despite how well leased their buildings are, the value of their buildings are going down at the same time that the interest rates that they're being asked to pay upon refinancing other buildings is going up to the extent that their lender wants to refinance the building in the first place. While lease rates are actually holding remarkably steady, they are certainly down, but the bottom has not fallen out of the office market yet. So we're not in that perspective in the same boat as we were like in 2010 or 2011. So while the overall trend for the office market is definitely trending downward from a valuation perspective, from a sale perspective, and perhaps in the future from a lease rate perspective as well, there is an opportunity whenever the market seems to be going in one direction for really smart landlords and well-capitalized landlords to come up with a new way of doing business that allows them to grab an outsized share of the market and really drive value and drive occupancy and drive rates in a way that just seems absolutely counterintuitive to the way that the rest of the market is going. And at the same time, employers, and I'm really impressed with what JF Smuckers has done with their employees in Ohio. There's an opportunity for employers to really re-engage with their employees in a way that makes much more sense for the employees, makes more sense for the employer, drives productivity, cuts the real estate costs. I mean, it could really be a very nice virtual cycle, but you have to be really smart about it and be willing to adapt on the fly. And that willingness to adapt applies to landlords as well. I should have mentioned that a minute ago. No, I appreciate that. Tell me a little bit, because I'm not that familiar with what Smuckers has done in Ohio. Give us maybe a little bit more detail on that example. What have they come up with a hybrid model that works or are they doing something innovative with space usage? So JF Smuckers, as I read in the Wall Street Journal, this is no independent research of my own, came up with a plan of hybrid work that seems to work really well for them. So almost all of their white collar employees were working from home and working from home really well. JF Smuckers has come up with a plan that said, okay, employees, we really need you to be in the office six days per month. And those six days per month need to fall in these 22 core weeks. So that's a little less than half a year. You can live wherever you want. You know, we're in Ohio, you can move to Florida, you can move to St. Louis, you can move to San Francisco, wherever you want. You're responsible for your own costs there. You're responsible for your own costs for getting into the office, regardless of where you live. But we just want you to be here six days per month over these 22 weeks out of the year. While there are, while not everyone is in love with it, it has been widely adopted. There's not an employee revolt going on and managers are noticing that when employees are in the office during these 22 core weeks, that they're logging more hours, that they're booking more face-to-face meetings with other employees, that they're doing something that I think is particularly helpful for the company. They're scheduling after dinner meetings with after work dinners with their peers. So they're really trying to make the most of the time that they have with their peers when they're in the office. So if the company is seeing more work getting done, if the employees are happy with it, that to me looks like it's really different from what we're seeing from both Wall Street and other office users, including the the tech sector across the country. Most importantly, if the employees are happy, then you've just crossed your single greatest barrier. 
Exactly, exactly. In terms of retention, I'm sure. For folks who aren't in the commercial real estate industry, I think we should maybe back up for a second and talk about what's a typical length of an office lease. I know I'm going to guess five to 10 years, but wondered in terms of the range of the lease time. And the reason that I'm asking this is just to see since March 2020, in terms of what we may see coming up and rolling out in terms of renewals or elsewise, what's kind of that sweet spot in terms of when decisions are being made to extend those commitments? Great question. So pre-COVID and now post-COVID, in St. Louis and in most markets across the country, New York excluded, typical lease is five to seven years. In New York, particularly Manhattan, that term can easily be longer than seven. Ten-year terms or longer were much more common in major, particularly in major CBDs like Manhattan or Washington, D.C., et cetera. But here in the Midwest, that term is typically then five to seven. Certainly, there's plenty of tens and also certainly plenty of threes. But five to seven was kind of very typical pre-COVID and, is, and we are now back to that. There was a period of time in 21 and 22 in which many tenants were just renewing for a shorter period of time as they could get the landlord to agree to because they really had no idea how they were going to use the space and therefore how much space that they needed. Companies are now starting, and that's a very important operative word, starting to figure that out. And I think it's going to be a few years before they really have. But those companies that are figuring it out are generally looking for terms that are five to seven years long. Okay, great answer. Great answer. I think it's worth noting part of what's driving that is that the Apple card has been turned upside down for how office employees or how office employees and office companies use a lease space. Inflation in the construction market has also been surging at a very inopportune time for both landlords and tenants. And we're seeing fit out costs, the cost of office improvement or fit out go literally through the roof. And at the same time, companies are having to really think much harder about how they want their office space to look and flow. And so they're looking to create nicer space. So they were already looking to spend more money for a new space, assuming that costs were the same as they were in 2020. And now that nicer looking space is costing much more. So tenants are frequently looking to sign longer term leases to in turn get a larger improvement allowance from their landlord. Wow. It's got to be such a tough challenge to be an employer because we also hear, and I'm so glad you brought that about construction costs because that would be a key you know, indicator and yeah. catalyst for people wanting to stay in the spaces they're in. I think too about the worker shortage and competing for the best and brightest and how that adds an additional pressure to the market, right? About your space better be what a Gen Z or a millennial or whomever, people that prioritize that time they are in the office, that it's what they're looking for and that that's maybe more important than it used to be than salary. So how does that sort of worker competition element impact this whole scenario too? I would say that factor is the key driving factor of the office market in St. Louis, New York, Dallas, Houston, wherever you, whatever market you would like to look at. Some people label it the flight to quality. I've also heard it labeled the flight to experience. And I frankly think that's a better, more inclusive label. But generally the conversation goes like this. The manager says to their employees, we've got way too much office space for the way that we're using it now. So we're going to go get new office space, but we're going to go get better, nicer space than what we have, which is a carrot to encourage people to be in the office more. And that also 
directly feeds into the competition for talent. So class A space has always been a real tool in an employer's toolbox or a company's toolbox for recruiting and retaining the very best talent. That's even more so now. Now that employees that you really want to land are asking, you know, right out of the gate, what's your hybrid work? Do you have a remote work policy? Do you allow hybrid work and so forth? And then companies want to make their office space work much better for their employees than they really thought about previously. So they're paying up in terms of price per foot for space but they're leasing typically much less space than they were previously. So companies are coming out ahead. Their total aggregate lease cost is, is down, but their price per foot for what they're paying for space is up. And that is really what's driving the class A market across the entire country. Wow. So that's fascinating to me. I didn't think about the actual footprint, you know, shrinking, but the quality of per square foot going up. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Do you have any in the scenario, I guess, where there would be office space that comes due or entire office buildings come due? I wonder if you're beginning to see in some cases less traditional tenants and maybe sort of a non-office tenant. That was a random question, but I guess I'm wondering, I've seen not necessarily class A office, but I've seen across the country, you know, like an older shopping mall as the malls are dying, you know, being reinvented and maybe a church coming in or a less traditional client. I don't know if that's, if there are examples to be had within the context of office space. There certainly are. I just completed a lease about two weeks ago with a company here in St. Louis that's currently in retail space. And retail space is not getting any cheaper. In fact, it's doing really well from a landlord perspective. And so the tenant was looking for similar size, slightly less, I think, than what they have now, but they were looking for office space that would provide exposure to a major boulevard. So they leased space in an office building that had exposure and they could get signage on the building to Olive Boulevard. And they will be the only office tenant there in the building. It's a fairly small building, about 9,000 square feet. So they're able to consolidate from two or three retail spaces where they have both a retail use and then kind of a storage use plus their administrative office use and combine all that into an office building. And I don't know that that opportunity would have been there for them in more typical office market circumstances. So the sheer increase in vacancy is creating opportunities for non-traditional users, but it's also changing landlords' mindsets. I'm negotiating with groups that would be physical therapy, quasi medical tenants looking at space and certainly willing to pay up for what's nicer space than what they were able to get pre-COVID. And candidly, I don't think that my landlord clients would have been motivated to do the deal in 2019, and they are certainly motivated to do the deal now. That adaptability of mindset wow. on of landlords is going to mark the difference between the winners and the losers going forward. Wow. You know, as you were talking, I wondered, I obviously realized that all the commercial real estate activity is mostly we're talking about private sector players. But when you talked about maybe adapting mindset, are there, you know, cities, in and around in St. Louis City as well, that in terms of zoning or other municipal partnership, are there things in terms of adjusting mindset that have been necessary on behalf of cities that you work with just in getting their arms around how the market's changing? Yes. And that is an ongoing conversation that I think is going to, I think you can time the full recovery of the office market to a critical mass of municipalities. Major cities like St. Louis and suburban cities like Creve Corps, a critical mass of those municipalities adopting flexible zoning. And what I think you're probably going to see, because it's much faster to achieve it, 
would be the granting of conditional use permits or conditional zoning or zoning variances rather than going in and rewriting the entire zoning code more on a spot basis approve certain flexibilities and variances which the zoning codes already often have built in. And so then city councils, I think smart city councils are going to, on a case-by-case basis, grant that variance or that conditional use permit to a new incoming tenant, particularly in light of the ripple effect that that tenant may have on bringing in other tenants or driving foot traffic that would support other particularly retail users in that immediate area. Awesome. Crystal ball question for you, Tom. Where do you see the Class A office market headed in 2024? Is it sort of training in a certain direction on all these tenants and landlords that we spoke of, or do you see it being impacted by inflation or other rates in a less than characteristic way? I think that the most accurate answer to that is that it really is going to be very submarket dependent. I think that the Clayton Office District and the larger mid-county submarket is going to be in really strong shape in 2024 with rising rents and decreasing free rent and stabilized tenant improvement allowances. I think that the West County submarket and the office districts therein, such as Creefcore, Chesterfield, Tapere, Westport, I think there we're going to see an increase in vacancy. We already have seen that in 2023. I think we're going to see a further increase in vacancy in 24. It's worth noting right now that there's more vacant office, there's there's more vacant class A office space in West County than there is in downtown St. Louis. That's the wow. microphone uh-huh. that's ever happened. And that isn't taking into account much of the sublease space that some users have on the market. My company doesn't count sublease space as vacant space because it's still under lease. So we count it as available, but not truly vacant. So currently the lower number is the vacant number. And that number is going to, to increase as sublease space burns off and that space be, is then counted as vacant. So it's going to drive that vacancy number even higher. I think that as some buildings in sell, I think that their new owners who will have bought those buildings at a discount are probably going to drop their lease rates. And at that point, I think we're going to see a, perhaps a reset of the competitive nature of Class A office space in West County. I don't think that that means that we're going to see the bottom fall out of the market, i.e. 2010, 2009, or 2010 in large part because the space that's available is in really big blocks. Most tenants are looking for space between three and 10,000 square feet. One, as a landlord, you're probably not going to break up a full building or even a full floor for a 5,000 square foot tenant because a typical floor is 20 to 25,000 square feet. So, But what might happen is that 15,000 square foot tenant comes along, the landlord breaks up the floor, and now suddenly that remaining 10,000 square feet is very available to be broken up and the competition for that space is going to increase, rates will go down, et cetera. So I think that we are still, honestly, early on in this nine-inning ballgame of the recovery of the St. Louis office market. And I think that really, as we begin to see those big blocks get broken up, at that point, we're going to know that we're more in the middle innings instead of the early innings. We have a long ways to go in this conversation. I look forward to having you back on eight or 10 months or 12 months from now and hearing where we're at. This is so fascinating. And I'm so encouraged, you know, with all due respect to West County, but I'm encouraged to hear that about office space in downtown St. Louis. That's not maybe in the situation it was six months ago. I don't want to be negative, but it's not necessarily good news for downtown. It really just goes to show 
how much vacancy has been brought to the market in West County in the last year. Downtown okay. challenges are significant. I don't want to downplay those at all. It just goes to show just really how much downsizing of true direct vacant space there has been in West County, and there is more to come, I'm afraid. And you know, as you were talking, I also thought about the opportunity for maybe more, if we're not saturated on co-work space, opportunities for startup companies and entrepreneurs that may not have found Class A space affordable before, what you're talking about, kind of breaking out some of that floor plate into three to 7,000 square foot spaces. That seems like just a great opportunity for a new business. It really is. I'm a big believer in co-working space. And I think that one thing that the office market on a national basis learned in, let's just say the years of 2017 or 2016 through 2020, but really 2017, 18 and 19 was the value that flex space, whether you call it co-working space, executive suites, whatever you want to call it, that the value of flex space or agile space brings to a building. And that it certainly can serve as an incubator for smaller tenants to move in that you that a landlord perhaps couldn't cut space down small enough for and could now accommodate those tenants and then be there as a growth mechanism for them over the long term. And I've had the opportunity to work with a co-working space in Brief Core that was new to market, opened up during COVID, and their leasing has been strong and it's been a really neat opportunity for them to provide a new type of office solution to the market at a time when the office market was really trying to figure out what its near-term and long-term needs were and are. That's fantastic. Well, again, in this episode, we've been delighted to learn greatly from Tom Ray, first vice president at CBRE. And Tom, welcome to Build St. Louis. And thank you for your time today. I know I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did too. And please come back and learn us some more again sometime soon. Thank you for the opportunity. It's really been a lot of fun. You bet. At SM Wilson, we transform landscapes, communities, and minds by harnessing the power of relationships. As a trusted partner, we enrich lives by building spaces to live, work, heal, learn, and play. We have built a reputation for more than 100 years as a design, build, construction management, and general contracting firm that puts people first. We're 100% committed to your project. SM Wilson, Beyond the Build.